Welcome to Life in the Pit, a podcast about the lives and adventures of instrumentalists within the wonderful world of musical theater. And now, here is your host, David Lane. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 75. Uh, I'm looking forward to chatting with our guest today, and I'm going to tell you more about her in just a moment. Um, it's kind of, as this episode is releasing, this is on the day of, uh, I'm kind of excited I'm going to be giving my f- first workshop as a podcaster um, at the state conference for the North Carolina Music Teachers Association uh, called Podcasting for Beginners, all of how to help people uh, get started. And, uh, and I'm probably going to archive that link, and I won't, it's not going to be something you'll go to YouTube and be able to find. But if you're you know, ever interested in that, it is, a, it is something I would be willing to, to share with you. So just send me a message if, if that's something you're interested in. Uh, as this is releasing, I probably don't have it available, but I should have it available soon. Uh, also, stay tuned uh, after my interview. I'm going to give you just kind of a brief teaser about my upcoming podcast uh, that I plan to launch in, at, in January of 2023. And it's going to be probably a full month ahead before I release it on social media or do any official talks. So as Life in the Pit listeners, you're going to get a first listen of what I can tell you about my new podcast. Uh, But that will be after our conversation. So my guest today is Elisa DiNapoli. And it's, it's almost hard to describe where she's from or where she's been, as we'll talk about earlier in our conversation. Uh, she's originally from Italy, but she's lived all over the world. She currently lives in New Zealand, um, which, you know, from where I live, it is, uh, it is a, I believe, a 16-hour time difference, you know, so I had kind of fun with that at the beginning of our conversation. We're not talking really about the pit today, but we're talking about a topic that affects all musicians, including, and I think sometimes even especially pit musicians, that pressure that you may feel, uh, some people would call it stage fright, but we're, we're not really on stage, but there's still that pressure to play the, the right notes at the right time and to, you know, to not let others down, not to let yourself down. And, um, you know, for lack of a better phrase, we'll call that stage fright. And um, my guest today, that's her specialty, is treating that. And she does that with some psychology. She does that also with hypnotherapy, which if you're not sure about that, um, I, it, it really is a valid source of therapy, and we're going to talk more about it. Um, but she is also the author of a book called Dare to be Seen, and she is also an artist-songwriter who has dealt with this before in a personal way, which is what led her to helping others with their issues of um, playing in front of others, you know, or playing in a performance situation when it really does matter. So if you ever had have had any kind of anxiety about this before, uh, you definitely want to check out this conversation. Also check out uh, more of her works, which we will leave a link for at the end of this conversation. So without further delay, here is my conversation with Elisa Di Napoli. It's my pleasure today to be chatting with Elisa. And uh, I, I said this before, Elisa, when I had a guest from Australia, I, it be, because it's basically I'm saying greetings from the past. Because <laughs> you are, it is Sunday when we were recording where I am, but it's Monday where you are. So 
afternoon here and and morning there. So good morning to you, and <laughs> thank you for joining me today. Yes, it's a pleasure. Um, tell us just a little bit about who you are, uh, what you do, and uh, and and uh, you know exactly where is it that you're located. Uh, well, I'm in New Zealand at the moment in Wellington. I moved here last year uh, after living in Scotland for 10 years, mm -hmm. but uh, originally I'm uh, from Italy. And um, <clears throat> I do many things like you. Um, I, uh, I've got many hats. I wear many hats, but right. uh, I guess I suppose the two things, the two main things I do, um, one is related to music. The other one is related to psychology and well-being. So on one hand, I am... Um, uh, mindset coach and I help people with all kinds of issues but I specialize in performance um, and especially to do with musicians and um, performers uh, of other kinds like uh, actors and comedians and that kind of thing um, and on the other hand I also play music myself uh, so I I play, um, you know, I sing, I'm a singer-songwriter and um, play the drums and the guitar and a bit of piano. And um, I'm very much into composition. I really love um, that side of things. And I also, um, within my, my practice as a coach, I do hypnosis. So I've been a hypnotherapist for 20 years. And... And I also teach songwriting, you know, basically anything related to this fear. Um, I dip my toes in and I'm an eternal student. I'm always constantly learning. Um, so um, that's me really in a nutshell, I guess. Great. Well, it's great, great to hear from you and what you do. And, um, you know, the performance anxiety, you know, is one of the things that you talk about. And, you know, my audience is mainly people who are interested uh, in the pit and, you know, for theater and, uh, mm. and a lot of them are pit musicians themselves, but they also, uh, don't just play in the pit. They play in other aspects of life, but the, the pit is an interesting place because, um, I would say more than half the time, probably at least three quarters of the time, you're not really being seen, you know, you're mm. under the stage or behind a set, you know, people hear you, but they don't see you. So, so it's probably not, it's not the same type of thing when you're on stage and people are there to watch you and you're the center of attention, but there's a certain pressure, you know, that comes with, um, because, you know, if you're, if you're say a solo pianist, you know, you, something goes wrong, you can probably take a little liberty with the tempo or something like that. Mm -hmm. And, um, you can kind of play around with it, do some improvisation. I've, I've done that before. I've actually made up some music when I forgot it. <laughs> um, but if you are part of an ensemble for a show, you have to start at a certain time for every song, every individual score, or every individual underscore. You have to play at a certain tempo. And if you're at a certain level, like on a touring, you know, Broadway tour or on Broadway, you have to play every note correctly or at least just about every note correctly. So uh, so we're going to come back to that, and I want to hear some things that you have to say on that. But I do have to ask, what what has led to your world travel travels? Italy to Scotland to New Zealand, those are not close. <laughs> no, I've also lived in London and in Ireland. I've kind of lived a bit of, not, not everywhere, but um, right. I have lived in a few countries. 
Uh, it's a long story, but basically just to kind of put it in a, in a nutshell, um, when I was 14, I decided that I wasn't going to stay in Italy for the rest of my life. Mm. I thought, you know, just because I was born in a country doesn't mean I have to stay in this country. The world is big mm-hmm. and I am very lucky. Uh, this is, you know, this kind of freedom um, is not given to everyone. And also in the past, I wouldn't have been able to do this. So I better take advantage of it now and see as much as I can of the world while it's possible. Right. Um, and, and so that's kind of what started it. But then on top of that, my parents also, I guess, are um, are a example for me because they, they left Italy uh, when they were 50 and they moved to New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it was more of a political decision in the sense that they were not happy with the government mm-hmm. and they wanted to live in a better place, you know, when they were, you know, as, as they were growing older, they would wanted a better lifestyle. So they moved to New Zealand. And at the time I was like, no way I'm going to New Zealand. I, I don't even know what it is. For me, New Zealand was like the piano, you know, the book, the, the movie, the piano, which is right. totally not what New Zealand is about at all. But right. as a kid, you know, I was like, oh, no, they live in hats and they don't have any technology. Right. <laughs> no, nah, that's not New Zealand. Yeah, well, I, I, I think, yeah, that was probably like the first thing. And then then the Lord of the Rings trilogy kind of made New Zealand famous for a while, but at least in terms of the landscapes, but, you know, <laughs> not yeah. not like any of the civilizations or anything. But, uh, okay, great. Well, I mean, it's it sounds like you've had a very, very fun life. So tell us a little bit about, about your story of just being a musician and, and what led you to kind of specializing in helping performers. Sure. Well, um... I suffered from performance anxiety since I was 16. Mm-hmm. Um, at the time, I didn't know why. Uh, but I basically would tremble before going on stage. I would have um, trouble with performing well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would be able to perform well at home. Uh, wonderfully, you know, uh, I, w- I would do <clears throat> prepare and uh, know my pieces and everything but then you know if i got on stage i would not be as good and then i would berate myself afterwards and think oh god that's terrible or uh, imagine that everyone hated it etc and i nonetheless i kept on playing or trying Mm -hmm. until i got to a point uh where i went some performances went so badly you know because i tried to uh, get better by using methods such as, oh, I'll just have a glass of wine or, oh, I'll have beta blockers or, you know, I've tried everything. And and none of these things really worked. Uh, and I got to a point uh, that, for example, during a performance, I just completely stopped in the middle of it and forgot my song. Right. And like, you know, drew a blank and, and I knew this song really well. And suddenly the words were gone, the chords were gone and, and I was humiliated, you know, in the middle of, of this performance, I had to actually run out of the place. Mm. <laughs> and, and, and at the time, I've, I thought, okay, I'm never going to do this again. This is, this is not me. I haven't got what it takes, etc. And so I got to a point where I was about to stop completely and give up. And, um, and something at that point changed inside of me. I thought, I, you know, giving this up, it's like cutting off my arm. You know, it's it's something so important to me. It's my passion. I If I give up, then I might as well, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to live 100%, you know, I'm half dead. So I thought I have to do something about this. 
that is not what I've been doing so far. And at that point, um, I was uh, a therapist. I was a hypnotherapist mainly. <laughs> and it had not occurred to me for whatever reason. Uh, I think similar to the reason that fish can't know that they're in the sea, that I could use hypnosis for mm-hmm. this problem. Right. <laughs> and of course I could, but I just it just didn't occur to me. And at that point, I thought, wait a minute, maybe I can. So I went to see uh, another hypnotherapist and I explained the problem. And I had a couple of sessions and it really helped. Mm-hmm. Now, it didn't completely solve the problem, but it really helped like much more than anything else uh, until then. And so I thought, okay, if this helps like 70%, then I need to look into it more. And I started researching and I started going to see other hypnotherapists and see what their approach was, learning from them, applying it to clients that I sought out on purpose to see, okay, how does this work? Does it not work? And so after quite a while, I put together a body of knowledge and, and understood, okay, what works with this is A, B, and C. And then applied it to myself, of course. And then I thought, okay, let's do it. Let's work with people with this problem because, you know, I know how horrible it is and I don't want them to suffer as much as I have. Mm. And so after that, you know, I I basically developed everything else, you know, my book, my course, et cetera, just to, um, to, to take it to more people pretty much. Right. So that's kind of my story in a nutshell. Okay. Um, you know, I don't, I'm not sure of all my listeners, you know, who has experienced, you know, hypnotherapy or hypnosis of any kind. Um, I will say that there was a time in my life that, uh, and I know people who still feel this way, who have not experienced any kind of hypnosis firsthand. The thought was, well, these are stage, you know, hypnotists, especially are like stage magicians and it's not really real or, you know, that's, that's kind of the, the, the thought that I had. But, um, mm-hmm. then I, then I found out by, in a very interesting way that there's something to it. And, uh, we have a, we have a county fair every year and there was a hip, a hypnotist and I thought it would just be fun to go, to go watch it along with my wife. And, uh, it was outside. So we were on lawn chairs on the lawn and uh, he had volunteers on stage, and and he and he told the audience, you can you can kind of participate if you want. Close your eyes, and uh, he he did a, he did something like he said something like, I'm going to count backwards from three. When you get to two, your eye, your eyelids are going to be twice as heavy, and when you get to one, your whole body is just going to feel heavy. And he set it up by having you think of something calm like an ocean you know and just smell the the salt and and i just and i participated in all that (laughs) and he started counting back from three and then he got to two and i could tell that my body was getting heavy and i'm and and i'm like oh wait a minute i don't don't think i want i don't want to see what's going to happen here and i tried to get back out of it but he said one and then the next thing I remember was I was face down on the grass <laughs> because I completely collapsed. And, wow. uh, and, and everyone around me was just like, you know, apparently, uh, apparently people were like, what's wrong with this guy? What happened? But I was participating to the point that I was fully in it. And I've looked up since then. And, you know, maybe you can tell me what your research says, but some people are more susceptible than others. And I'm obviously very highly susceptible, you know, when it comes to hypnosis. 
Yeah, well, this is the thing. There's there's a bit of a misunderstanding around hypnosis, Mm -hmm. or a big one, actually. And it's about the fact that people think the power of hypnosis um, lies within the hypnotist, but it doesn't. Mm -hmm. The power of hypnosis lies within the person that actually practices hypnosis, meaning hypnosis is a skill. It's a skill just like anything else. If you don't want to be hypnotized, you're not going to be hypnotized. If you decide, you know what, I'm not going to collaborate with this. I'm not going to do what the hypnotist says. I'm not going to imagine this and that. It's not going to work, right? Right. Of course it's not. But if you decide, okay, I'm going to do this, Mm -hmm. it's going to work because it's like your subconscious is like a a foreign land um, and the hypnotist is your guide. But at the end of the day, you need to decide whether you're going to go in it, you're going to actually walk the paths that are being shown to you. You could just decide not to walk the paths. Right. And so that's what it is, you know. And also, on the other hand, what I want to explain is that the the idea of, oh, hypnosis is this magical, mysterious thing. Some people think it's evil. Some, t- some people think it's, you know, supernatural. It's not supernatural. It's not evil. It's not good or bad. It's basically a very natural state that we go in pretty much every day, but we don't do anything with it. So, for example, you know, when you fall asleep and you are in between being awake and actually dreaming, you go into the hypnagogic state of mind, uh, which is very similar to it's basically an hypnotic state of mind where you are susceptible, but you don't use it. You don't give yourself suggestions or what people call affirmations. You don't do that, do you? You don't imagine specific things. You just kind of allow your mind to do its own thing. But the difference with hypnotherapy is that you, the hypnotist or hypnotherapist, actually causes that state, helps you to get into that stage, and then uses some processes to help you, what you know, resolve the problem that you have or achieve the goal that you that you set yourself. It's basically using your imagination in a focused and relaxed state of mind. And that's a, a learning, an optimal learning state. Um, you know, I was thinking, you know, as you're saying that and also thinking about how, you know, easily susceptible I was. And I wonder, you know, how much of my background as a musician kind of prepares me for that. So for, for one thing, I've, I'm a composer, so I'm I'm always sitting down and writing. And, and of course, I get into the, the mechanics of the how the chords work together and the melody and the structure. But I'm also thinking, uh, you know, imagining how the image that this might convey, you know, when I'm writing the music. And also when you're playing, I think especially, you know, when you reach a level and you're not just doing technique, but you're getting into the artistry, I think most musicians lose themselves in the moment. I think that's a very common expression. And um, you might even call it a flow state. You know, I think is what some yes. people would call it. Yes. And you're 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 aware of what you're doing, but you're not necessarily, you know, trying very hard. You know, it's it, it's not like I'm like, what is that next note? You're 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 not thinking like that. It's like your subconscious is taking over, your fingers are going to the right place, and you're also tapping into the emotion of the music. And it seems to me, well, that it sounds like very similar to the state that you're talking about. Absolutely. It is the same state. Mm-hmm. It is the same state. The only difference is um, what you do with it. You right. know, And what you are doing with it is you're building a, <clears throat> a landscape, an emotional landscape. Right. 
and you are also you you get out of your way when you when you're talking about the fact that you automatically your fingers go automatically where they want to go yes of course they do because you're not consciously thinking about oh you know i need to put my my index finger there and you don't do that if you do that you're going to make a mistake and so because that's your conscious mind and your conscious mind is much slower than your subconscious mind you know so basically you're getting the subconscious mind out of the way so that you can go into that deeper more emotional state and that's exactly what you're describing that's exactly what we want you know when we play 100 percent. and and what gets in the way is when you're anxious Mm -hmm. your conscious mind get your conscious mind gets in the way and you start thinking oh what if that happens and what if that happens you know and then you break the flow and also and or you use your subconscious to imagine the opposite of what you want so you imagine all the terrible things that could happen oh maybe i will forget my where my fingers go or maybe i'll make a mistake you know and you imagine that and as you imagine that you create it because whatever you say to yourself whatever you imagine whatever you say to yourself you know in words your mind creates in images and the images get translated into emotions mm-hmm. and that becomes reality and it actually happens right in your inside you you know, so you totally lose the flow and go into this nightmare reality where all the worst fears become true. Right. Uh, you talked about a book you wrote, uh, I believe it's called Dare to be Seen from Stage Fright to Stage Presence. And uh, and I regret I didn't get a chance to read that before talking to you. So um, just tell us a little bit about the book in an overview. Sure. Yeah. So the book is, uh, is very practical. It's divided in two parts. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I uh, w- always think when I read how to books is give me an actual path. Mm-hmm. Don't just waffle about, you know, how wonderful yeah. you are and your clients are because I don't care. What <laughs> I want to do is I want to read this book and I want to get something out of it that I can actually implement. You know, that was my objective when I wrote the book. So I thought, okay, first of all, we need to have a framework. I need to explain why the, the techniques that I'm going to teach you actually work so that you are not just blind. You, you can understand the basis of what I teach you. So the first part of the book is, is about is more theoretical. It talks about anxiety, what anxiety is, why it happens. It talks about the subconscious, the conscious. And when I say conscious, subconscious, you know, uh, don't get me wrong. I don't. I'm not saying that there's a, like a place in your brain where the subconscious lives. It's not really like that. It's more like a metaphor to explain the automatic um, functions, um, the way we we um, basically it's it's everything that's happening underneath conscious awareness. Um, and the second part of the book is more pra- it's more practical in the sense that I give you a path to follow. So it's like okay, there's ten sessions. Each of these 10 sessions is um, addressing a particular aspect of performance anxiety. Um, If you start from number one and you get a number 10, that's the best way to go where you're going to build on each session. And the idea as well is that you can either do this by yourself. So I equip my readers to create an hypnotic track on their own or if they're like, look, I don't have time, I don't want to do it, or, you know, um, I'm afraid that maybe I'm not doing it well or whatever, I want someone to ha- that has more experience, then I also offer some, you know, a course, an online course that's connected to the book where all of the sessions are already recorded by me. So that's pretty much it. And within this, there are some case studies as well. 
Nice, yeah. Uh, when it when it comes to conscious and subconscious, actually, I talk about this in my lessons. I uh, I often refer to like just the act of walking. Uh, you know, I think you know by the time we we're aware of what's going on, we actually have already learned to walk in you know most cases, and we forget actually how complicated of an an activity is enough so that like robots have not quite learned to do it correctly and that no other animal can do it quite the way we do and yeah. it's 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 a lot of muscular balance coordination and if you had to think really hard about it <laughs> walking would not be anything you'd want to choose to do you know um, it, unless you absolutely had to. And yet now, you know, as I tell my students, you just think, I'm here, I want to get there. You stand up, you walk. Um, yeah. And at some point, getting on a bicycle is the same thing. And then for, you know, for adults, getting in a car is the same thing. It's like, I, I still remember thinking, how much pressure do I put on the brake so that I don't go past the stop sign? And the first time I tried it, I stopped way short. Because I knew that I better do that than go past it, <laughs> and yeah, yeah. and then after a while I just I see the stop sign, and I just put my my foot just knows what to do. It doesn't really know what to do. It's our subconscious mind. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. you go from um, you go from unconscious incompetence, mm -hmm. so you don't know that you don't know, to yep. conscious incompetence. You know that you don't know, to. Um, conscious competence so you know that you know and then unconscious competence you don't know that you know <laughs> <laughs> I, I like that yeah um great yeah i have to remember those that's very good um you, you said that you have um I, I mean your book has a lot of materials but i thought one thing that was interesting that you offered to share was uh six fundamental mind hacks for achieving lasting performance success so what are the six fundamental yeah mind so hacks? so this is to uh, achieve success in general, but of course, performance success is what we're after. Right. Um, and what I mean success in general is basically getting the results you're after. Mm -hmm. So um, the first one is that your mind does what it thinks you want it to. And um, what does that mean? Well, from the moment that, you know, we get into this world, your mind's job is to keep you alive, right? Right. And how does it know that? Well, it takes you away from pain towards pleasure but how does it know that something is pleasurable versus not of course if it's physical it's pretty clear if it's painful physically then that's you know something you don't want but psychologically well that depends on the person you know for someone um jumping off a plane might be the most exhilarating thing they could do for another it's terrifying mm -hmm. so how do we know the difference well it's uh it's um, what we say to ourselves about the experience. You know, if we, in our minds, in our inner talk, we say, oh God, it's, um, I don't want to go to work because it's, it's terrible. It's going to be a terrible day. And I, I hate playing music and oh my God, people are going to laugh at me. I'm going to make a mistake. Basically you're communicating to your brain that this is a dangerous, painfully so experience. It's a psychologically painful experience. So your brain goes, oh, right, this is painful, we're not going to do it then, we're going to try to avoid it as much as possible. So once your mind knows what it, what it, you think is good or bad for you, it's simply your slave. It will try to help you avoid that thing. Mm -hmm. right? right? So that's number one. 
number two is that your mind responds only to two things. Um, the words you say to yourself, like I said uh, before, um, inside your own head and, and if you are telling someone else, and also the pictures that you make in your mind. And those pictures are also created uh, automatically when you speak to yourself. Yeah. So, so those words pr produce pictures in your mind and, and it doesn't matter if it's something you don't want. So if I say to myself, oh, I don't, I don't want to make a fool out of myself when I'm on, on the pit. Mm -hmm. Well, w the first thing that you imagine is you're making your, a fool out of yourself in the pit. Yeah. Why? Because not is a word that doesn't have any actual content. It's simply there to deny, you know, a different, a, another word. It's simply like, um, it, it's, it's not connected to an object, whereas everything else is. So yeah. that's why you really should try and avoid saying to yourself things you don't want and ask yourself, what would I rather have instead, mm -hmm. right? Um, so that's that's number two. Um, the number three is that emotions trumps logic, which means that um, your, you know, your um, prefrontal cortex uh, is, is um, connected to your analytical uh thinking mind and your amygdala is connected to your emotional mind also um we could think of it as um emotional brain versus a rational brain if you like um actual certain actual parts of our brains were you know our primitive brain is the first one that evolutionarily speaking we as humans um developed and then there was the emotional brain and then finally the last one and the thing is the we think that log the, our logical brain is the one that has all the power, but it, that's not true at all. Mm -hmm. The emotional brain ha and the reptilian brain have the power. So you could think whatever you like in a rational way, but if you emotionally feel different, the emotional brain is going to win. Yeah. So, yeah, I just I just want to <clears throat> interject with that. I think anybody who takes time to think about that knows that this is true, especially if you've ever had any bad habits you're trying to trying to break or any good good habits you're trying to start. Um, I think if you're not inclined to exercise, if you haven't been inclined to exercise regularly and you keep saying, I'm going to start, I'm going to start doing this, and maybe you do and then you stop, and it's it's because that you you might in your brain you know you might think you intellectually know I need to do this, but you have but, but is is a lot more to it than creating the habit of doing that, and that comes to you know what, the way I understand it, the emotional brain has to engage in what and yeah. it has to identify it has to say that what you're trying to avoid is painful, and that what you're yes. trying to accomplish is uh pleasurable I, I actually just started reading i put them <laughs> i put them off for decades but tony robbins uh his book um awaken the giant uh, within yeah. and i'm only yeah. i'm 100 yeah. pages into it but it's basic basically in a nutshell that's that's what he's saying that that i that i think harmonizes with what i've read elsewhere it's just absolutely you have yeah. to you have to create pleasure and pain in the right aspects of your life so absolutely yeah. and tony roberts is you know is one of the people that 
I very much admire. And he, you know, everything he, he talks about is NLP. NLP is based on hypnotherapy. So really, like we're talking about the same thing. It's just that right. he doesn't use hypnosis in a very um, formal way. Right. You know, he, he just uses it really quickly by by saying to people, by shocking people, um, stopping their patterns and then getting them to connect to positive emotions, which is, yeah. you know, yeah. also it helps that he does it in these big groups with thousands of people because when you're put on the spot like that, you don't really want to fail, so to speak. You know, you don't want to um, right. um, go, oh, well, actually, you don't want to resist. He's going to not allow you to resist. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, right. Um, so <clears throat> to, to just finish on that one, though, the, about emotion, there's an element of it that's important that's connected to rational mind. So when you think a thought, like I said before, it produces a certain image. That image produces an emotion. So when you have negative thoughts and you indulge them, well, you are actually creating negative feelings. So it is important to become more mindful and aware of when you're having those thoughts and, and actually decide, you know what, I don't have to indulge this. I, you know, it's there, it's a thought, that's all it is. But I decide how much energy I give it. You know, how much attention am I going to give this this thought? And what uh, what other thought could I actually give more attention to to create a better feeling? Mm. I'm not a victim here. You know, I've got I have I do have some power, and I can use the I can trick my emotional self using my rational mind. Mm. If that makes sense. Yes. Um, okay. So hack four is that. It's all about repetition, repetition, repetition. Mm -hmm. Repetition is the, the key to change any, any of your beliefs. Um, if you think about it, you know, the advertising industry really knows this, right? Mm -hmm. They show us the same ad again and again and again. And eventually we go to the supermarket and buy that toothpaste instead of the other one because we're used to it. It's like, oh, it's gone in. We've seen it enough time. So... The same goes with um, your negative beliefs versus your positive beliefs. If you say to yourself all, your, all the time, oh, God, I'm actually not good enough. And, oh, I, I don't deserve to be here playing this instrument. Uh, I'm sure there's other people that are better than me. Blah, blah, blah. You know, you say this to yourself again and again and again. Eventually, you're going to believe it. So you, you have to switch this kind of self-talk and start to give yourself a chance by Stay saying first saying to yourself things that you can believe like so for example well actually you know remembering all my successes uh remembering what i can do um remembering that that um i'm improving the the more i play the better uh, player i become etc and then eventually when you get ready actually saying to yourself oh i'm, I'm good i can do this right you know and uh I'm, I'm even i'm a master if you like and um because whatever you focus on expands. So you got to focus on what you want, not what you don't, right? Right. And then um, hack number five is that what you expect tends to be realized. Mm -hmm. And as a teacher, you probably know this very well. Yeah. You, know, you, <laughs> you know that if you expect your students not to do very well, mm -hmm. they will pick that up and they, they won't. And if you expect them to do well and you really mean it, um, they will also start to expect that from themselves whatever you expect them to be realized so um when you say to yourself um that you're uh 
uh, liked and accepted, you will behave in a more friendly way, for example, towards people, and then people will respond positively. If you think of yourself as incapable or um, awkward, you know, you will act uh, also in that way, and and you will have uh, people respond to you, mirroring that belief. Yeah, so, uh, I um, I heard a podcaster say this recently, and it and it. Uh, it was a challenge to the way I've thought about this before, but it harmonizes with what you just said. Um, I kind of grew up with the, you know, uh, I guess expect the best, but hope for, or no, hope for the best, but expect the worst. Mm. But yeah, I heard a podcaster say recently, you should, you should expect so much from yourself that you're totally surprised by failure. It's like it just completely catches you <laughs> off guard. And and so what you want to do is condition yourself to make that acceptable to you. Like, surprise, that didn't work out. But you you never expect that. You expect that what you do is going to succeed and that you're going to be successful. Um, and it, it just sounds like if you make a habit of that, that's where that repetition comes in. Yeah, I mean, and also, you know, my I, I've got this saying uh, that I... I keep on saying I should have a T-shirt with it on it. But <laughs> my saying is expect the best, accept the rest. Right. Right. So, yes, accept, expect the, the ideal outcome. Um, put your best effort in mm -hmm. and trust that that's all you can do. Yeah. And leave the rest of the, to, the, to the universe, if you like. It's like, it's like uh, the art of um, archery. Right? Yeah. You imagine you aim, you're like, you really concentrate it. You want to get there, right? And then you relax, mm -hmm. you trust that the arrow will go where it needs to go. And if it doesn't, it's okay. You can then take the failure as feedback and go, okay, what did I do um, there that uh, I could improve? Right. Oh, I, I was tense. Oh, right. Okay. So I need to relax more. So like, you know, I, I was reading a bit of your blog before and you talk about growth mindset versus fixed mindset. Mm -hmm. And that's what it is, is about as well. You know, it's about not having this fixed mindset that, oh God, I made a mistake. Therefore, I am a failure. But more like the failure is just feedback. It's just telling me something I need to change and I can learn from it and move on. Right. It's, not, it's not about who I am. Wow. Yeah. And that was, uh, I'm sorry, I think we, you said five. I think five. You, you finished yeah, five. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so. Yeah, so, so number six. <laughs> number six is that your mind loves what is familiar and rejects what is unfamiliar. Mm -hmm. And this is tied with repetition. So um, basically, it's, it makes evolutionary sense. You know, if something is familiar, it's something you already know. So it is more likely that you know how to deal with it if things go wrong. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, so then in, your subconscious loves what is familiar because it uh, makes it feel safe, right? Mm -hmm. um, but of course, if you stay safe in your comfort zone, you're never really going to learn anything new. So the idea is that you need to make the familiar unfamiliar and the Unfamiliar, familiar. Right. So if, for example, your familiar um, self-talk uh, is all about, is all negative, is all about what you don't want, you're going to have to switch it around and make it unfamiliar by making the opposite 
familiar by repetition. So, you know, if you put yourself down every day, start by actually appreciating the things you do well, more and more and more and more and more. Mm -hmm. um, you know, self-esteem is healthy self-esteem and is all about having positive regard for yourself while being aware of your flaws. Mm -hmm. So it's it's not a Pollyanna kind of attitude of I'm perfect, I'm perfect. Of course, you're not perfect. No one is. Yeah. But you're aware of the areas of improvement without putting yourself down for it. You just right. accept this is being human. And again, growth mindset, I'm going to get better and better and better. And but you need to be kind because if you're not kind and encouraging to yourself, you're you're going to use all your energy uh, putting yourself down, feeling bad, and then you're going to have no energy left to actually grow. You know, you wouldn't do that to a kid. You wouldn't go to a kid and say, you, you're good for nothing. Mm -hmm. you, you, that would be abusive, right? But you do, but it's normal to do it to yourself. Uh-uh. No, shouldn't be. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, the, the, I, th I feel like these are all things that, you know, a musician who studied with good teachers that, that nothing you said should sound revolutionary. It should sound yeah. like, you know, because I, because I've, because I've had a variety of teachers and the best ones, you know, are basically saying the same kind of thing. There's, there's actually a book that I was given when I graduated high school <laughs> called the inner game of music. And, um, it's all, it's basically a musical, uh, uh I guess, uh, reiteration of the inner game of tennis that was the original yeah. book from like the 70s yeah. and uh you know it and so much of it is about trying to achieve what they call self two or the flow state or the the especially i think this is really important for for most musicians for me it's, it's turning off the the sports commentator it's like ah oh, he just made that mistake um uh, it's like Oh, I guess you do, you need to practice that more. But the problem is, is well, that's now two measures in the past, and you 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 can't do that. I I I remember one time I did a, a piano concert, and uh, I opened up with Beethoven's Pathetic Sonata, and I completely nailed it. I was focused in the zone, and then I went to the next piece, and I was still celebrating how I did <laughs> with the Beethoven, and. And I, I think I started, you know, I was I was maybe 24, 25, so I was, you know, pretty arrogant and, you know, still more youthful than I wanted to admit. And I think I imagined, like, I wonder what I look like at the piano from that person's perspective in the third row. And all, and then I realized I'm making all kinds of mistakes. Uh, I, I've never played it this bad before. And, and it just mm -hmm. reminded me, you know, you... <laughs> there's a balance, you know, it's like you, you want to expect the best, but you also want to constantly stay in the moment and not be thinking about what just happened. You know, Yeah, or, that was a conscious mind getting in the way, you yeah. know, and commentate, the commentator is always your conscious mind. You right. Know? And when you hear it, mm -hmm. it means you're not in the moment. You are already, you know, you're, you're self-conscious. You're looking at yourself playing, you know, and that's a, a that's the moment when you need to come back. Yeah. It's like a, a meditation exercise. You know, to me, playing an instrument is a meditation because you you will um, 
get out of it. You mm-hmm. know, you, I remember myself always thinking, oh, God, you know, oh, imagining the moment when I showed this to my parents. I imagine the moment that I showed it to my boyfriend or whatever, you know. Right. And then oh, the, even if I got into the positive one, like, oh, that was brilliant. Oh, look at me. I'm so great. It's like, uh-uh, now I'm not in it anymore. So bring myself back to the music itself. Right. And the, get out of the way. You know, this isn't about you. In fact, a musician, in my opinion, is a channel uh, to for the music. It's like a hollow reed where the music flows, you know, flows inside and you're just a vessel. You should get out of the way. This isn't about you. You know, it, you're, it's um, your job is to is to express that music as well as you can. But that's it. Yeah. It's about the music, not you. Um, I've, I've, I've always wondered over the years, like, what's the best advice to give to students who are trying to, who have not done recitals before? And, and I feel like the advice that was given me was not the best. And that was, you know, when, when you're at the recital, pretend that you're by yourself. And I thought, well, that's, that's really hard because I know that other people are there. So I've tried inverting that advice. I've tried saying, when you're at home practicing, pretend that there are other people watching you. And I even suggest things like turn on the TV just to, mm-hmm. and down low. You kind of have a little murmuring in the background. Um, but, but I guess yeah, I know the best thing to do would be, would be if you've got a lot of family that comes over or friends, just anytime anyone comes over, hey, let me play my piece for you. So you get used yeah. to that. But if if you don't have that situation, what how do how do you recommend transitioning from that solitary practice to being in front of people, even if you're underneath the stage, but people are there, they're listening, they're they may even be judging how you play. How how do you get from one to the other? Well, you know, it's a process, um, and it, it depends on your particular circumstance, but um, one of the things that I uh, start with is actually recording videos of myself mm-hmm. because I find that even that sometimes can be a, a trigger. It's like, mm. oh, I'm recording a video, so, you know, it must be perfect, though, that kind of thing, you know. Right. Uh, a, live, a live stream can be the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but the other thing is, like you say, is, um, yes, I think imagining a positive audience, you know, imagining they're having the right... Um, relationship with your audience right your, your audience is not there to judge that's not what right. their job is the audience job is to en- enjoy themselves you know they came yeah. there to see you because they want to enjoy themselves right and if you enjoy yourself they'll enjoy themselves yeah. so you are going to take care of them by um being connected to them and being connected to your music obviously if you're a pit musician you're not really connected to the audience because they can't see you right. um but you can still imagine that connection yeah you know it's it all starts in the mind anyway mm-hmm. so i would suggest rehearsing if you can't you know if you can't actually have a performance out start outside with a few people uh, if you can't for whatever reason have uh, you know a bunch of performances that get more and more um you know, where there's more and more people, well, that would be the ideal, you know, to start with one, two, three, four, five, et cetera, 10, 100, whatever. If you can't do that, then at least do it in your mind. Uh, so imagine, rehearse, imagine that you're in the pit, 
imagine that it's already it's actually happening because you know what your brain doesn't see the difference between something you imagine yeah. and something that actually happens mm-hmm. it is really the same thing. it's like there have been experiments where they have put a musician inside an mri scan with a um actual keyboard practicing a scale and then they have taken this, the keyboard away and it said okay now imagine practicing the scale and the areas of the brain that light up are the same right. whether you have the keyboard or not so it doesn't matter so just use your imagination instead and imagine the perfect performance you know the performance where you're relaxed where you feel um good about your piece of music everyone's enjoying themselves you're enjoying yourself number one and the audience is also responding really well yeah uh and that kind of also you know that that goes right with what i've heard i've heard many technology experts you know they'll they'll be asked something like what do you think is going to be like the biggest have the biggest impact on society in the next 20 30 years and the, the most popular answer is uh, VR, virtual reality. And yeah, for, but I mean, for, we have a virtual reality inside already. We, yeah, we no. don't need VR. <laughs> yeah, no. But it, but it's one of those, you're doing something that's not really happening, but it really feels like it is. And that's uh, that just shows how powerful our, you know, our, our mind can be. Yeah, for sure. yeah. I mean, have you ever tried one of those machines yourself? I, I, uh, have, have, you ever... I have not. I, um, I, I I tried something where it was just kind of like it was a headset, and and you know, just kind of looking around, but uh, yeah, not not anything extensively. But uh, but no, I have I have a friend who's in the, who's a guitarist, but he's also his pandemic project was learning about VR and how to program and. He's, he says that he's been creating art rooms and you can, you know, with with the drawings that he's done and you can put on the headset and you can actually walk in the gallery, touch yeah. the paintings, you know, and just it just feels so real. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, um, well, I want to just talk about what are some of the things that you do? I know that you have a podcast. You, uh, I believe you do. You have one called uh, Dare to be Seen. Yeah, the podcast is at the moment in hiatus because of I'm just too busy with everything else. So I've decided that um, for the moment it's that's it. I've okay. done two seasons, and it was about um, interviewing female uh, indie singer songwriters mm-hmm. and uh, asking them about their life as musicians and uh, challenges and. Um, what uh, really works for them in terms of creation and composition and performance. So that that was fascinating. I met a lot of really cool people. Yeah. But then, you know, I was like, oh, my God, this is so much of my time. I don't have, I, I can't <laughs> keep right. going. So for now, it's on hiatus. Right. Uh, and that's, that's why Life in the Pit is not as frequent as it, as it has been. So I certainly understand. Um, what are some of the services that you offer and where can people find out how to contact you and how to find out more about that. Yeah, so um, so I offer one-on-one uh, coaching and uh, sessions. Uh, I also have a uh, online course called There to be Seen connected to my book. Mm-hmm. And I uh, offer also a free masterclass. 
And I wanted to offer something to your audience. So I thought, well, I could give your audience a free copy of my book. Mm-hmm. And uh, so if they want this, uh, they can go to my website, which is elisadinapoli.com slash pit. Mm-hmm. And they will be able to get a copy, grab a copy of, of the book. Um, and also on my website, there's a free masterclass on um, performance anxiety and feeling. There's a In this masterclass, there's a very valuable um, pre-performance ritual that I have um, developed that helps you feel calm just before you're about to go on stage. So a very practical masterclass that one is. And yeah, so that's where you can find out more about me. Um, and if you want to hear my music, you can go to my other website, which is elisavulpes.com. That's uh, Elisa with an um, Y in it and two S's. Well, great. And thank you for Jennifer's offer. And we'll I'll put that in our show notes uh, so that uh, people can, can find that. Um, and uh, I guess that's I guess that's about it. So... Uh, thank you for, for taking time to chat with me today, and I hope the rest of your day goes well. Yeah, you too. It's been a real pleasure. And that just about wraps up Episode 75. Uh, again, her generous offer of a free book, you can find that at elisadinapoli.com slash pit. And you know, if you need to spell that, you'll see that in the show notes. And um, also just a reminder, also in the show notes, there's a link for Fonz. If you have a private studio uh, of any kind and, you know, want to really save time on your admin work, your billing and your scheduling, I just can't recommend it enough. So be sure to check that out. Um, This episode was a bit monumental for life in the pit and that it's, you know, hopefully not the last episode. I, I think I've got some more guests coming up and this podcast is going to continue again. I think about an average of once a month. So I suspect that in November I'll have a new episode for you. Um, officially, I, I can't really commit to a schedule at the moment uh, for various reasons. Um, but one of those has to do with my new podcast. So I mentioned that this episode was monumental and it's because it really didn't have anything directly to do with pit musicians. It had to do with a topic that affects pit musicians, but that's because it had to do with a topic that affects really all musicians who have any who do any kind of performing. And so, going forward, this podcast is going to be you know a little bit more firmly inside the box of pit musicians. It's going to be a podcast just about. Um, the experiences of various pit musicians. And again, we've covered a lot of things. So, you know, if we do go outside the box, it's going to be very heavily for pit musicians. There's a few episodes I could think where I might, um, I might talk about the pit that may not be from exactly with inside the pit, but it, again, it's going to go back to the more niche way that it was. And in the future episodes that are like what I just shared, is going to provide the content for my new podcast, but that's only going to be part of what I'm doing. Um, I have a name for my new podcast, but it's a working title, so I don't want to share it until it's an official title, and that I'll announce on social media, and I plan to do that at, at some point in November, uh, probably mid <laughs> mid, to no, mid to late November. We'll see. Uh, I'm not positive of the timeline for that. But I'll tell you what it's about. 
my new podcast is all is going to be about the craft of musicianship. And, you know, if you think about what's something that you've heard quite a bit on this podcast, you've heard about the importance of being able to sight read. So I'm going to have a lot of episodes um, from my own experience. So there'll be quite a few solo episodes, but uh, I'm also going to get some guests who teach sight reading. And that's going to be, you know, one of the episodes, for example, um, going to be some more multiple guest episodes, kind of some round table discussions. And we're going to be talking about how to become better at practicing. Uh, how do you learn a new instrument for the first time? How do you get better at theory? How do you take up composing? Um, we're going to explore all the different types of music careers you can have and just talk, go through kind of the toolkit. What do you need to work on to be able to do that? And I wanted to do that because this is really what I'm most passionate about when I'm teaching. Um, I, I love teaching piano and, you know, I like teaching piano technique in the repertoire, but I love teaching about how to become an expert at practicing your music at learning the music on your own, uh, of, of how to understand the music better in terms of theory. So these are the things that I get, uh, that I just love uh, talking about. I have a lot of friends and colleagues, you know, that are experts in their own field, and I'm going to bring them in. And uh, what I expect is that the average episodes are going to be shorter than Life in the Pit. Uh, what I hope to do is to have two episodes a week, and I'm not sure which days yet, so that's still in planning. It will either be Monday, Thursday, or Tuesday, Friday. I'm not sure which. But the plan is to have kind of a short episode, one that's kind of for inspiration or kind of a thought of the week, and uh, one that will be a little bit, a little bit longer. Uh, but I'm, you know, I'm hoping like the average episode is going to be cl closer to 30 minutes than an hour in most cases. So. Uh, it'll be a lot of content, it'll be a lot of regular content, and it's going to be, of course, a lot broader. Um, but I'm, I share this with you guys because I think that 90% of what I share is going to be something where, it, even if being a pit musician is your main goal, I think you're going to find value in what this new podcast has to offer. Because, as you've heard, even a lot of the Broadway guests say, um, pit is part of what they do. But being a well-rounded musician and having the craft to be able to get work. So that's the other thing is there's a lot of podcasts out there about music business and, and some really good ones out there. Um, but they all kind of assume that you, that you've done what you can to become a great musician. And we also live in a time where getting to college is expensive and not everybody with the with the talent and the drive to be a musician can necessarily afford to go to school. So my idea is to create a podcast that if you listen to every episode and you get some mentors um, and you work with some people that you can't afford, that you can become a great musician. So I'm really excited about that. That's going to become my main podcast. But Life in the Pit will stay on as something for pit musicians that's all about pit music so stay tuned for all that as a reminder if you want to follow what's coming up next be sure to follow us on instagram twitter or facebook at life in the pit pod you can follow me on instagram at david lane music or twitter and facebook at david m lane music 
And as always, a special thank you to Mark Perolo for his cover art and to Bill Cisna for providing the introduction to this podcast. The music is composed and performed by David Lane. You can find out more about this podcast, leave feedback or donation at lifeinthepitpod.com. Please rate and review on the Apple Podcasts app or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please share with your friends. Thank you for listening. Thank you.